Hi, I'm Emily Bellet, the founder of Vespot.com, a thriving community that financially empowers women and author of the Amazon bestseller, You're Not Broke, You're Pre-Rich. And this is The Wallet. The Wallet is here to help you make better financial decisions by talking honestly about money. I'll be sharing my best tips, inspiring you to take charge of your financial futures and talking to an array of awesome guests from all walks of life, employees, freelancers, entrepreneurs, and money experts. It's time to open the wallet again. Inheriting money comes with responsibilities, guilt, and the desire to make sure you honor one's legacy. We aren't equipped with the financial literacy needed to make financial decisions from the get-go. We have to learn, recognize the value of money, and break the taboos around it. Inheriting an unexpected sum of money can turn your world upside down. Do I deserve this money? Am I allowed to spend it? Where do I even start? While it's been amazing for Ruth to inherit a great sum of money from a friend, she's essentially had to figure out what to do with it from scratch. Accept the money, spend it wisely, and start investing for the long term. We talk about the practicalities of getting started with investing, financial privilege, facing the financial industry and its product as a single woman, getting help from an advisor, and living your life to the full. Ruth initially attended a Vespot workshop two years ago, just after receiving said inheritance. And now she's here to share a journey managing her finances. Ruth is the full-time CEO for a charity in London. We recorded this episode pre-lockdown, so we'll follow up on social media to hear more from Ruth about our investments. I also wanted to let you know that we are not financial advisors. So the articles, the information made available on vespot.com and in this podcast are provided just for educational purposes and do not constitute financial advice. So make sure you consult with an independent financial advisor for advice on your specific circumstances. Hi, Ruth. Hi, Emily. Welcome to the wallet. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It's really great to be here. No, thanks. We've known each other for a few years. Mm. You've been coming to a lot of Vespot events. So can you tell our auditors who you are and what you do? Yeah, so my name is Ruth Taylor and I'm chief exec of a small charity based in London. I'm a native Londoner. Um, I've lived here almost all my life, apart from a brief stint at university in Birmingham. And I've spent my adult career so far working for small charities primarily. I've been running small charities for the past 10 years. I'm 36. It was my birthday a couple of weeks ago. Happy birthday. Thank you. I'm an Aquarius, <laughs> so we like changing the world. And yeah, I live in South London. I'm not married. I don't have a long-term partner and I live with, uh, I own my flat and I have a friend who lives in my spare room. Thank you so much. So I really wanted to have you on the podcast because when we met, I think it was a few years ago, you inherited money from a friend. It's good in a way, but it can also be quite stressful to mm. know what you should do with this money. Mm. I mean, did you have any knowledge about personal finances or like, did you have any money conversations with anyone? Is it weird for you to, to come today to talk about money? I would say that since I inherited this money from my friend, which was a complete surprise, um, she died out of the blue at sea um, on the 1st of April, 2016. And then 10 days later, I found out from our other friend who was the executor of her will that our friend Sarah had left her will, her estate to be split between 10 friends equally. 
And I had no idea that this was coming. So it was a real surprise. Um, and it wasn't money that I'd ever been expecting to have in my life. It wasn't something that I thought was coming. It wasn't like knowing that at some point I'll inherit from my granddad or my parents. It was completely different. And I think since that happened, it all took a while to come through because probate takes ages, but it really focused me in terms of thinking about my own money and my personal finances because I felt like I needed to do right by the fact my friend had left this money to me. Is it um, sort of a, a legacy? Yeah, I knew that I, so she, you know, she was a huge adventurer and she died sailing around the world. Um, she, you know, also was quite prudent and sensible with her money, which meant there was quite a lot of it, um, quite a lot of her estate and also it was her mum's estate because her mum died a few months before her. So their estates ended up being handled together. So it was a lot more money than I'd kind of really contemplated ever receiving at this point in my life. And I knew that she'd put the 10 of us in her will for a reason. You know, she'd chosen us because maybe we were her favorite people at the time when she wrote her will, <laughs> or maybe because she thought that we would somehow continue her energy in the world. Sounds a bit hippie, but you know what I mean? Yeah. So I knew that I needed to be a combination of things with it. So partly to be sensible with it and to make sure that I didn't fritter it all away which would have been quite hard because it was quite a lot of money um but not impossible but also I wanted to allow myself to enjoy it because I knew she wouldn't approve of me just you know if I if I'd put it all into my mortgage that wasn't what she wanted me to do so um it really motivated me around trying to get a grasp of my personal finances and to understand investing And then also to start talking about it openly with people, because when I found out about it, especially once we got a clearer idea of how much money it was going to be, you know, I, I felt guilty. Yeah. I felt guilty partly because she'd been sailing around the world and I hadn't stayed in touch with her and I couldn't remember the name of the man she'd met and fallen in love with on a boat. And I felt awful. She was, to me, it was a bit out of sight, out of, sight, out of mind. I knew I'd see her when she got back, but she never came back. So I felt really guilty and had to, did a bit of work on myself around that and got to a point of not feeling guilty about it, but also feeling I need to honor this money that she's given me. Wow. Yeah. So, and did you know the, the other people who, who got some? Yeah, I knew some of them very well and some of them less well. I think maybe one or two of them I'd never met and everyone else I knew fairly well. We've all got a lot closer since she died. She didn't have a long-term partner. She didn't have siblings. She didn't have children. She didn't even have any cousins in this country. She didn't have any aunts or uncle in this country. It was quite a peculiar situation. She was 40 when she died. And it's that's quite a rare situation, I think, for someone to be in. Um, so we ended up doing a lot of the... My friend who was executor obviously managed her estate. And then we did things like clearing all of her possessions out of a storage locker and stuff like that. And in fact, in my bag today, I've got a waterproof jacket that had belonged to her, which well, is quite nice. Yeah. Um, so I knew them and we've all become a lot closer as a result of it. But I remember when I knew, you know, we were told, we worked out, we were thought, we thought, okay, approximately how much money is this going to be? And the calculation was that it was probably going to be between 60 and a hundred thousand pounds, which is, a chunk of cash. Yeah. 
right? I think for most, for almost anyone, it's a lot. that's a yeah. lot of money. Yeah. And it was a huge amount of money for me. And I spoke to my cousin, who's a financial advisor. And I said, okay, I've got this money coming at some point. It's going to be in this quantum. What do you think I should do with it? Yeah. You know, you're a financial advisor. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, that's a really good and wise choice to go yeah. see a financial advisor <laughs> when you get such a big lump sum of money. But do you think that changed your money mindset? I think a lot of people are, you know, chasing money, wanting to become rich or wealthy. I mean, I don't know how much is wealthy, how mm. much is rich, mm. but at least be financially secure and in one day getting some money. So do you think you, you're a different person because, because of that? Or you've learned how to, yeah, manage this money? And um... I think I am a different person because of her death. I yeah. think her, her death, And then this inheritance kind of shifted me quite a lot and gave me a different perspective on my whole, on life in general, I think. And, you know, she was 40, so it was, yeah, it shifted and gave me a different perspective. And it has given me, I suppose, a level of background security and assurance, yeah. really, that yeah. I didn't have before. And like I said, I've worked for small charities largely since leaving university in 2007. And I don't have fantastic pensions. You know, I'm not a public sector worker who's been assiduously, continuously <laughs> paying into a pension. I'm not a banker um, or anything like that. So in some ways, I see it as a, as a bit of a boost to my pension for the future. And I think that It also coincided with my parents retiring and seeing that they have a really nice life in their retirement. And I want to be able to have a nice life in my retirement too. I also want to be able to have a really nice life now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But the whole experience has refocused me around money, I think. It was almost like having such a big lump sum that came partly in um, a few different tranches of varying sizes. But, you know, at one point I had the bulk of it sitting in my current account. And I looked at my current account and I was just like, this is wild. <laughs> What? I, and then the thoughts run through my head. I'm like, well, I'll just go and spend it all. And I was like, no, must not do that. And it was a re it's also been very useful because having that then kickstarted me into saving more money, um, which I'd struggled with. I bought a flat in 2013, so nearly seven years ago, with a lot of help from my parents who gave me my deposit. But I'd also saved a good chunk of money towards that, which I paid for the renovations. But since buying my flat, I'd really struggled to find a focus for my saving, which I think a lot of people find hard. I was fine at saving for holidays. Yeah. Easy. Like more short-term short goals. Short-term goals. But I was really struggling to see, I, w I was struggling to make real the idea of saving for my future self. And then this combination of inheriting the money from Sarah and having seeing what that looks like and feeling it to an extent is nice. And then also seeing my parents starting to have a nice retirement and thinking, oh, actually at some point that will happen to me. Then that was when I started coming to Vestpod events and thinking, right. My cousin told me from her financial advisor perspective, she said, the best thing to do would be if you want to buy a bigger flat or see if you can buy a house. Okay. That would be the best thing to do with this money because I have a lot of equity in my current property as well. And I said, well, I don't want to move. I like my house. I don't want to end up mortgaged with a really high mortgage. I actually wanted to have a lower mortgage and less outgoings. 
So she said, okay, so then the thing to do is you need to look at investing. Okay. And that was when I, uh, she gave me a few pointers and then I started coming to support events okay because great. i didn't really know what it meant yeah and uh so i mean for people who don't because most people can't actually work with an advisor because i mean it's it's too expensive and you don't have enough money um you were lucky there was someone you know close yeah. to you and from your family so what are the first steps i mean how do you open about money with with an advisor what are the, the type of questions they ask she asked me to And I'd already done this because I have a spreadsheet budget, which I think a lot of people have. But she asked me to think about what my existing outgoings were and then to think about my short, medium and long term goals, which I think is where my problem had come before is I hadn't really been thinking about that once I'd bought my flat. So she asked me to think about that and then to think about how much money I needed to have liquid So how much money I needed to have as my, you know, quite easily accessible rainy day fund, I yeah. suppose. And then how much I thought I might need if I was thinking that I did want to buy a new house um, or a new flat um, to think about, okay, what are the some of the medium term goals? So how accessible do you need that money? And then to kind of apportion different chunks according to how accessible I needed them to be or how long I thought I was going to be able to put them away for as well as a my attitude to risk profile, which she asked me to do. Those were the main things she asked me to do, was think about what my goals were, how much money I needed at the moment and I might need in future, and then what my goals were, and then thinking about my yeah attitude to risk, which I think is really important. Yeah, so, so what is your attitude to risk? How, how did you manage to, <laughs> to define it? Because for a lot of women, they ask me, you know, what is risk? How do I know? And I, I often say, you know, You just, you have to experience it also. Mm. So, you know, start investing. But what is, uh, what is risk for you? How did you define it? I'm not a particularly risk averse person in general. I, in my work, I take quite a lot of risks. I largely work for small organizations that are kind of a little bit less stable. So I think I've been used to taking risks in that sense. And when I was starting to think about my attitude to risk, for investing, it was similar. I was like, okay, I, um, I understand enough that I know that actually if you're prepared to take a few more risks, you could potentially have much greater returns. However, you know, when you do those, when you really think about it and someone says, okay, well, are you prepared to lose all of this? <laughs> no. No. So it's then going back to thinking about how you apportion things and going, right, I can, you know, I can deal with the thought of completely losing 10,000 pounds and never getting it back yeah. or whatever the proportion is. But I couldn't deal with the thought of losing 70,000 pounds yeah. that I hadn't been expecting to have anyway, which was also interesting kind of psychologically in my brain. I was like, okay, well, now I've got this money. It's mine. Yeah. And I don't want to lose it all which sounds really weird and greedy. I'd never been expecting it. But again, part of my not wanting to mess it up, I suppose, was wanting to honor my friend. And so I thought, okay, if I put all of this into something that is too risky and fails, then I've done her a bit of a disservice. Yeah. Although actually, ultimately, I think if I'd taken all of her money and decided to start a business and then it had failed that wouldn't have mattered because that would have been in the spirit of why she left us the money, I think. Yeah. And maybe you had given the money or you were giving the money a purpose. Exactly. Exactly. So I think 
I, in my investing, I tend to be fairly adventurous with some of it and then a bit more balanced with other portions of it. And I think um, I've done quite a lot of investing through AJ Bell's You Invest platform, which my cousin, the financial advisor, suggested to me. And they have some really good, what do they call them? Ready-made. Ready-made funds. Yeah. Yeah. And they have everything ranging from, you know, very cautious to more adventurous. Yeah. And most of mine tend to be at the more adventurous end. But also because I've told myself that most of this money, I'm not expect this money I'm putting there, I'm not expecting to need it for 20 years. So therefore, I know that sometimes I'll look at it and think, oh, no, I've lost loads of money. (laughs) But hopefully, probably in the next 10 to 20 years, it will have done the ups and downs and will have come out with higher returns than if I'd put it in a more cautious one. Yeah. So we'll talk about the yeah how you how you get started in investing. But maybe you told me you're you're single, so you have to manage your own mm. money. It's a big responsibility. Historically women haven't been at the forefront of making big financial decisions. Yeah. They've been doing most of the household decisions, maybe budgeting. Yeah. But when they're married, the partners tend to take these final decisions, tend to invest the money. I mean, a lot of research has been showing that women are great mm. uh, investors, mm. return sometimes more than men. So this is really encouraging. But did you see a lot of buyers um, as a women in the space to get started, to get to find the knowledge, the inspiration to to invest your money? I think it's really intimidating. I think it seems like in the past few years, there's more coming out and there's more conversation about money and there's more people like you doing what you're doing and trying to reduce the barriers, but definitely. And I think part of that's going to be historical and kind of patriarchal capitalist ideas that women don't deal with money. You know, something I have said a few times, and I think I may even have said to you before is, I really wish that when I was at school And when I was at university, there'd been sessions on how to manage your money when you leave uni. You know, I left university, finished my undergraduate in 2006. So I didn't have anything like the kind of student loans that some people have now. But the key thing that was never really taught to us was about saving or pensions or investing. And one of my I don't have many regrets in life, but one of my few regrets is I think ever since I left university, I could have put 50 pounds a month minimum into a savings or an investment account. I could have done it almost every single month that I've, I probably actually could have done it every single month since I left university, but I haven't. Yeah. And you, you don't want to know how been, much I don't even want to know how much money that would be worth With now. compound interest. It's so depressing because of yeah. compound interest. No one gets taught about compound interest. Yeah. You know, and a lot of us, I think I'm really pleased actually when I've been at Vestpod events and other financial events, seeing women who are sort of 10 years or so younger than me, I'm jealous, yeah. jealous yeah. that they've started because I regret it. So that's, I really wish that, you know, we'd been taught about that. Compound interest is is just making money on your money. I mean, it's a li- little bit of jargon. <laughs> we, we need to have a little bit in this podcast. Uh, but when you're investing money or saving money somewhere, you're getting some interest and these interests are reinvested. So you get interest on interest on interest. 
And when you think about it for like 40 years, <sighs> so um, much money. <laughs> even if you save very little, <laughs> that should that should be a lot of money when 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 you retire over the over exactly. the long term. But yeah, I mean, again, learning at university, yeah, learning at school. I mean, most students will you know finish university with a big student That's, loan of yeah, like exactly. 30k yeah then uh, you get a credit card yeah so i mean this is quite hard to to actually mm. manage it's hard to manage and i think also partly then because of the jobs that i've gone into which have been in largely in small charities and a lot of charities do have very good pension schemes and i actually got made redundant from my first job at the beginning of the um, financial crisis at the beginning of 2009 got made redundant and my charity then actually had quite a good redundancy package so I did quite well out of it even though I hadn't been there for that long but no one at that organization had spoken to me about my pension no one at my next employer spoke to me about my pension it wasn't until I was running a charity and my cousin who's a financial advisor said what do you do about your pensions and I said oh yeah and obviously now there's auto enrollment yeah but I think, again, part, yeah, partly because of the types of jobs I've done, charities are very female dominated. So I think you have places like that, you know, the pension gap is real, isn't it? You'll know the statistics better yeah. than me. 20 women retire with 20% pension savings of men, which is nothing. And then yeah. we also live longer. <laughs> yeah, and we live longer. Yeah. Exactly. So you've got you know, lots of women working in industries where pensions haven't been encouraged in the same way that they probably are in other industries and also where people just aren't talking about money as openly because it's a different type of sector. Yeah. So, yeah, I certainly, I think I, by the time I was starting to think about my investments and my financial management, I knew where to look a bit. I think Instagram's great. There's so much on the internet these days about personal finance. Something that was revolutionary for me was when I started using Monzo. Yeah. So I was quite an early adopter of Monzo and I just blew my mind. What do you like? Where Monzo? I was spending my money. Okay. Like more just being able to categorization so, of, yeah, of exactly. expensive spending. Yeah, just being able to see it so clearly where the money was going and thinking, oh, look how much money I've spent at Pratt. Yeah. Do I really need to spend that money? It was really useful for me. I think as with anything, the novelty wears off a bit. And now I'm like, oh, Pret again. But <laughs> it was very useful for me when I was still working it out. That was a few years ago. But yeah, I think there's, I definitely think there's barriers for women. I think, I think there's more being done now to try and reduce them. But I think even things like the language and the jargon needs a bit of explanation. And some of the, I think historically, obviously, investing in stocks and shares was really complicated and it's not anymore yeah you know so how did you get started on this whole investing journey because i <laughs> guess when we met two years ago you were just like oh you know, yeah. where do i start and i have this money which is amazing yeah you're really lucky in a way it's really it's really sad for your for your friend but yeah you need to do something with this yeah. money so what are you looking with this money? Are you looking to make financial return, financial security? Yeah. Um, also give it maybe a little purpose with impact. So what were your, your really first step for people who are not investing? Maybe they have a little bit of money. Mm. They've repaid their debt. Mm. They have a small emergency fund. Yeah. So they're ready to invest and, and start somewhere. The first thing I did was... I'd actually, I'm just going to be really honest, like when, so my friend died in April, 2016. And once I knew that the money was coming, I had a period of being a bit frivolous. So I went on some great holidays, put them on my credit card, built a new um, built-in cupboard in my flat, did a few things. 
where which I, is fair I, you know, enough. Which is fair enough. Exactly. Bought myself a lovely new bike, like spent, spent a good, you know, bought a new laptop, like spent a chunk of money. And then I was like, okay, now I need to stop. And actually it then took ages for everything to come through. So I kept, she died in 2016 and the bulk of the money came through probate in April, 2018, I think, or maybe March, 2018. So it took almost two years. So the very first thing I did was I paid off those credit cards <laughs> that were on their 0% interest, but I'd moved them. I'd made sure they were, you know, moving across, moving between 0% interests. And I hadn't spent, you know, a fortune, but I thought, okay, go on a couple of nice holidays. I went to Everest base camp, wow. which I'd wanted to do for ages, which like my friend definitely would have um, approved of. And then I was like, okay, well now I need to focus. I need, this is my line. You know, this is the rest of it I'm being sensible with. And that was when I started looking at AJ Bell, you invest website. Which is an yeah, online investing yeah. platform. So you can just go there, open a, an ISA in dual saving account or pension, a private pension. Yeah. Put some money in it and get started. And get started. Yeah. yeah. So I've got several types of um investments with them. I've got a Stocks and shares, ISA, a lifetime ISA, and I've got a, uh, a SIP, self-invested personal pension, which is my pensions from a couple of other jobs kind of brought into one place. Yeah. So you consolidated your So I consolidated pensions. them into one place. And I think I've got another one. Do they have another type of account? They just have like an investment account. Well, I don't so think I, I have got once that one. So I think went I've got those over three. Your ISA limit. ISA limit. Yeah. Then you can open a... Although I was quite account. lucky because... Because when the money came, I think the money came in fe- the money came in February or March, which meant I could utilize two years ISA allowances quite well before the April before uh, year April, end. yeah, fifth of April, isn't it? So I put a chunk in in March, and then I put the rest in in April, which was quite handy. Yeah, in two, so across two different years, and then I looked at I think I'd been to one of your investing workshops. And again, you had talked about risk and about thinking about the different types of investment that you might have. So the bulk of my money that's with you invest is in their packages. Yeah. So their portfolios. Ready-made ready ones because they're really easy to use. Yeah. So these are usually, I mean, I've been using them and, and usually they're spread over five different funds. Yeah. Usually index funds yeah. or low, quite low cost spread, I think all over the world, yeah. uh, over equities, bonds, or different asset classes. Yeah. And I like that because I think it spreads the risk, doesn't it? If they're all, they're tailoring it and they know what they're doing, I don't know what I'm doing as well. They really know what they're doing. And then they're spreading it across different types of investments, which makes me feel reassured as well. But I've also, through AJ Bell, I've also looked at, I'm quite interested in trying to invest ethically where I can, but it's if I wanted to do that wholeheartedly, I think it would be more complicated and potentially more expensive. So I've done a bit of it. My cousin, who's a financial advisor, sent me um, some stuff about ethical investing. So I looked up all of the funds that um, were mentioned in there and had a look at them, thought about if I liked what they 
what they stood for and then have invested in some of those as well. Okay. Um, and then the other thing that gets me is anything that looks like anything that has really high returns. I'm always like, Ooh, that looks interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so every now and then I put a bit of money in something that's a, like let a bit, you know, maximum a thousand pounds or so, I think maybe a little bit more in stuff that seems a bit more of a wild card, but looks like it's having really high returns, partly just kind of for fun. And like I bought some Bitcoin for the same reason. I haven't looked at it in ages. I have no idea what it's doing, but I know it's there. So, yeah. <laughs> so basically when you started, you, you looked for, yeah, mostly like funds. So looking yeah. at the at the fees to make sure you're not yeah. paying too much on, exactly. on these funds. Yeah. Diversification, so yeah. spreading your money everywhere, mostly in funds. And I guess, I mean, you talk about ethical uh, investments and other investments So Bitcoin. I mean, don't go into it <laughs> if you if you don't have um, a lot of money. But uh, I guess this is like a, sh a small portion of your of your portfolio. Yeah. All these like side investments. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. I've got, yeah, that's kind of in, the Bitcoin is kind of interesting. And the ones where I something catches my eye and I think, oh, that sounds good. And it's got a higher risk rating. Those are a much smaller proportion of my, my portfolio. And most of my portfolio is in the AJ Bell passive funds, I think. Yeah. yeah. Most, almost, most of it is in the AJ Bell passive funds and spread across adventurous, like moderately adventurous, balanced. And they've got a global growth one, which is quite interesting, which is, I think, the, the one that they see as the most risky but also I think very interesting because it's investing in different places around the world and different again different types of investment so yeah most of mine are towards that end of the end of the spectrum and I look at them periodically I'm not sat here looking at them every day I kind of try and look at them quarterly okay and probably manage it sometimes but I just like to have a look and see see how things are going Do you get stressed about your investments? I mean, people have been saying, you know, there's a financial crisis around the corner. We're holding cash. We're waiting to to invest. What's your, your perspective on that? Because I guess once you receive your big lump sum of money, did you invest everything in one go in the no, stock market? Or did you no. wait? Did you, what we call like drip feed in the stock market over yeah. time? I wouldn't say I quite drip fed because I'm lazy and I wasn't, uh, <laughs> I wasn't going to kind of sit there and do smaller chunks of money every week or every month or something. It's more costly um, also because exactly, each time you trade. the fees, isn't it? But then you yeah. average your, your cost of, of entry. Yeah. yeah. So that's pros and cons. Yeah. So I, I put most, yeah, like I said, I put a lot of it in at the end of the financial year in 2018. So before the 5th of April, 2018. And then I put a lot more in at the beginning of the financial year after the 5th of April, 2018. I also have a monthly direct debit to one of my AJ Bell accounts as well. Um, so that comes from more like your regular income regular and how much income. you manage to save. Yeah, exactly. So that's my salary. That work comes straight out of my straight out of my bank account at the beginning of the month. And then the other thing I do at the moment, which is more drip feeding, I suppose, is I use money box roundups, which I think going back to this point of first tip for someone who wants to start investing and maybe doesn't have loads of certainly doesn't have a big lump sum i think moneybox or other like robo advisors like that which use roundups that's i every time i look at mine i'm amazed at how much money is in there because yeah, it just goes auto up. saving apps they're yeah. really good yeah. yeah so i'd recommend 
something like that for someone who's thinking, right, I can probably save my roundups. You know, it varies every week. You can, depending on how you want to use it and how you budget, you can obviously do different, you could do it monthly. So you know exactly how much it is, but mine goes weekly and is based on the roundups from my Monzo and my nationwide account. How much do you manage to save weekly? Um, do you know? Weekly, it's, it's tw- around £20. Okay. Yeah. And you like don't that. even realize and it. And I, I barely even notice. Yeah. And then I go in and I look at it and I'm like, oh, oh. my God. I think I put 100 quid in there to start off as well. And now every single time I'm like, wow. And this is invested because you can choose the option of keeping it in cash. Mine's or invested. Investing it. Yeah. yeah. So mine's in Moneybox. It's invested. And actually mine's in a like general investment account because um, You're already using I've your got ISA. other ISA allowances yeah. Yeah, elsewhere. Yeah. Actually, we had a, a question from the Vespot community from oh, yeah. one of the girls. And that's a question I, I get really often is I'm really scared about investing and don't really know where to start. I feel I can lose all my money. What is the best way to get started? So you started with a lot of money. People yeah. can start with no money, but yeah. in the end it's the same it's because the same. You, you lose yeah. it, you lose it. Mm. So, I mean, yeah, auto-saving is amazing, but yeah. what are your other like, you know, small tips maybe around like confidence building? Mm. I think educate yourself so you can feel a bit more confident about what you're doing. Obviously read the Vespod website and newsletter, listen to these podcasts Um, And think about what you're really interested in as well. Another thing that I've done a bit in the past couple of years is some investments. I invested in a Monzo investment round because I love Monzo. And I invested when Brewdog, the beer company, had an investment round because I so these like are like Brewdog. crowdfunding uh, yeah. interest. So much more risky on the much riskier more risky. end. Yeah, sorry. So that's uh, maybe but if not it's a uh... little bit of your of your money. It's it's exactly. quite motivating because yeah. you feel you know the company, you know the yeah. mission. For me, it's relatively very, very small amounts. If you want to do something that isn't sort of roundup based. I think you could go and look at some of, you know, I'm most familiar with AJ Bell's website. So that's the one I'm talking about the most. But you could have a look and think, right, what funds, what sort of thing am I interested in? What do I want to see more of in the world? Because ultimately that's what we're doing by investing, isn't it? We're helping grow these things that are already in the world. Yeah, it's like a vote for whatever you you like in this world. Yeah. Yeah. So think, okay, is there anything I'm particularly interested in? See if you can find maybe a passive fund that meets that. Set up a direct debit that goes into one of those that doesn't seem super risky. Or if you've got a, if there's a UK brand that you particularly like, find a fund that they're part of. You know, find a fund that they'll be, you'll be investing in by investing in that fund. And then I think, yeah, the, I think the sort of roundups and robo advisors also, I think really make sure if you're getting started that you can afford to lose the money. Yeah. I think that's the thing you need to make sure you've got your rainy day savings. And if you're then thinking, okay, well, I want to understand this a bit more, maybe say, well, I'm just going to put 10 pounds a month and I'm going to look at it and I'm going to see what's happened to it. And I'm going to see how that makes me feel. Because actually, if you look at your £10 on the 1st of March and then on the 1st of April, it's gone down to £8. If that makes you feel really bad, then maybe you need to do something less risky with it or you need to do a bit of work on accepting that it is going to go down. Or you need to wait another month and then you see it's gone up to £10.30. Like, I think society sometimes tells us that women are risk averse. I don't think that's necessarily true. And I don't think investing has to be really risky. 
I think there is always risk involved in all of these investments, but there's risk involved in everything we do. Thank you. I really agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> so now I have five quick okay. questions for you. Oh yeah, I should have looked at these. Oh yeah. <laughs> top three financial goals. Oh, top three financial goals. Um, I want to go to Antarctica, which costs like £10,000. Yeah. So that's a financial goal for me at the moment. Part of me is like, just go. You've got the money sitting there in a bank account. But um, no, it's but for no. your future. Exactly. It's for my future. So I'm like, right, I need to try and save that money myself. One of my biggest goals is about not having to worry about money. And I think part of that comes into income and always knowing how much I need to earn in order to feel financially stable and comfortable. And then part of it is about working out what I need for my retirement. And actually, to be honest, and this is something I need to work on. And so this counts as a goal. I need to think about what I need for my retirement and how I'm going to get there and be slightly more structured with it. Yeah. Retirement calculators are exactly. a good way to start working. Yeah, I need on to do it, one of those. Really scary. I know. I'm not sure I can yeah, deal with it. You should. Um, <laughs> and then what was a third one? A third financial goal. I need to think about my financial goals. Good. Yeah, this is good. What's my Spend time what's writing them? Well, actually, the, a big one that I've that I'm doing at the moment is putting my money into different places every month, so that I'm much more mindful with spending it. So I want to really nail my budgeting system and make sure that it actually works because it's so easy to cheat your own budget <laughs> um, <laughs> best financial decision ever probably my flat as i said i had a lot of help from my parents for my deposit like any other middle class south londoner but i bought a very cheap flat And we had our offer accepted in the autumn of 2012, which was kind of just before the London property market went really wild. So we got a very good deal, which means I'm now in a position where my mortgage is only £500 a month. Amazing. So that was it. And the worst financial decision? Oh, um, far too much fast fashion mm. and clothes. <laughs> Not so much anymore, but um, when I was younger. Now I try and rent clothes. Great. Yeah. Uh, what is financial independence for you? That's such a good question. I think financial independence for me is knowing that I can cover all of the costs that I have to pay and also all of the costs that I want to pay. Yeah. Uh, the things you spend the most money on? Food and holidays. Food and travel. Great. Thank you so much, Ruth. Thank you. Yes, you soon at a Vespa event. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a couple of seconds to rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Also, don't forget to join our community on Instagram and Facebook and to subscribe to our newsletter on Vespa.com. Feel free to email me with your comments and questions over at emily at Vespa.com. Thank you. Speak to you soon.